The views and opinions expressed by guests on the TWBC podcast are solely those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views of nor constitute an endorsement by the host, TWBC, or the advertisers. National Championships, Confederation Championships, World Championships, major professional events. For over three decades, he has been there for many of the sport's greatest moments. And now he brings you even closer to the movers and shakers in the world of high echelon tournament water skiing. From the founder and creator of the Water Ski Broadcasting Company comes the TWBC Podcast. And now here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, uh, greetings one and all. Uh, I am the aforementioned uh, Tony Lightfoot. Uh, glad to have the uh, pre- your presence here. And uh, we've uh, got a real special episode here of the TWBC uh, podcast against, uh, against the ambient sound of some jumping going on behind us here at, uh, at Sunset Lakes. And uh, pleased uh, to, to have the company of, uh, of James Timothy. How are you doing there, sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Tony. Now, uh, for those of you that are kind of wondering a little bit uh, with, uh, with, uh, with James here, uh, he uh, is, is known as the guy behind uh, the, the Shore Path system. Uh, kind of give us a little bit of an overview uh, of, of that system and why it's, and why it's grown more and more important uh, with its use in tournament water skiing. Well, Shorepath uses um, a high-end version of uh, GPS, which allows us to actually track the position of the boat in real time as it goes through the slalom or the jump course. Uh, and now we can measure to plus or minus one or two centimetres exactly where the boat is um, and see what's happening and whether the walls are being conformed to. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. That's the, uh, the Cliff Notes version of uh, what, uh, what uh, the Shore Path system is all about. But uh, how, did you, how did you get into this sport? I mean, uh, I mean a few years ago, if, the name was, if your name was bandied about, I mean, no one, would, no one would, would, would know you from Adam. But, I mean, how did you get into the sport and how long has, has that journey been so far? Well, I've water skied. I actually learned to water ski when I was in my teens, um, way too many decades ago now to, to think, contemplate too hard. Um, but uh, I've not really been involved in the tournament scene or in the federation or the rulemaking side of things until um, the last two years since Shorepath came along, and it sort of threw me into a, a completely new world that I had no idea um, the complexities thereof uh, and all the politics that goes on within. Um, but doing my best to catch up <laughs> and knowledge and all the rest of it um, and here we are today all right then so uh, obviously you have a background uh, in so far well you have a background in engineering my apologies uh, for that and is, is that true you you've got yeah I, I, I trained as a broadcast engineer originally um, for the it, Beeb? For the BBC, uh, yeah. So, um, but in the late 90s, or in fact the early 90s, um, I was a videotape editor by trade and editing was becoming more and more computerised. And so I got into writing software to solve problems that we were having as editors. Um, that sort of migrated into tape libraries and databases and stuff like this. 
Um, and in the early 2000s, I got involved in developing systems for sports scoring. So we did systems for tennis, uh, nine-ball pool, um, various things that, that, that involved collecting data from a sport putting it into a database and then using that database to generate captions on TV, basically. So there's there's beautiful black and yellow uh, graphics. Uh, The the main main, uh, guts behind them is you. Uh, I'm afraid so, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, obviously, there's there's basically two parts to any sports scoring system. There's the data collection side of it, which is somebody needs to enter the information into the system to start with. And then there's the data extraction side of it, which then feeds into what we call a caption generator, which can actually superimpose that information live on air um, as the viewer wants to see it. So basically, uh, what that caption is like behind, you know, the uh, the 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 bottom layer is like green. It's like the the green screen, and then 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 whenever you send that to the. to the technical director, the technical director uh, puts the chroma key on and eliminates the green, and what you're left with is the caption, isn't that right? Exactly, yes. There's various ways of superimposing captions on top of a background, but but, uh, the analogy with chroma key and separation like that is is pretty much how mostly it's done, yes. Yeah, because I've been involved in uh, in, in TV broadcasting uh, uh, in in my past life for a a little bit, and, uh, and I've kind of taken a few of those skills and a few of those things into TW bc which is mm, it's been great yeah yeah it's been yeah it's been pretty good so far i know we've uh, we've incorporated a lot of a lot of your stuff that goes in goes into the twbc broadcast i'm sure I'm, I'm i'm sure that having watched a number of our webcasts over the over the last year or so you've pr- you've probably got a few ideas of your own and uh, kind of figured you know may maybe Maybe the webcast can do a li- with a little bit of a tweak. Uh, have you have you had occasion to 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 think along those lines at all? Um, well, what people most people don't realise is that the kit involved in producing a high quality broadcast that looks polished and finished is generally very expensive. And so, uh, what the TWBC um, have been doing with the with the resources they've got is quite frankly phenomenal, and the the output if you looked at the output now you'd often be hard pushed to know that it wasn't um, a full-time broadcaster producing the output Um, that's just from a technical point of view then of course there's the artistic and the production values and everything uh, and vince and tony have done an absolutely amazing job of actually developing it over the last two or three years and 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 tidying obviously there's always more stuff technically to sort out um but it's time, it's effort, it's manpower. Apart from anything else, the volunteers make this. You know, it, it, you need people to do specific jobs, and trying to do multiple jobs with one person means that one or more parts of what they're trying to do will suffer at some stage. And, and people notice mistakes rather than all the beautiful stuff. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so uh, let's let's go back a little bit further in time. Uh, I mean, I mean, kind of origin story, I guess. You know, I mean, we 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 touched upon the Beeb and uh, broadcast engineering and that kind of stuff. So, you, did you did you go to uni or did you go to a vocational college to uh, to learn to learn what you know now, or, uh, or or was there another path that you took to uh, to get to to where you eventually went to at the BBC? Um, well, uh, 
when I was growing up, I was, I was quite good at physics and maths, um, but I was also quite a good musician um, uh, and played with the Welsh National Youth Orchestra. And so at some point, I had to choose between music and science as a career. Um, and I thought, well, if I go to somewhere like the BBC and record it, maybe I get the best of both worlds. And my ambition at that time was... Um, to record classical music and, and the like. Um, so you saw the, yourself at the proms, huh? Sort of thing, and, and, I, and I have actually worked on the proms before now. So um, that sort of migrated, and, and, and I, for various reasons, ended up being a videotape editor. So, yes, I was... <clears throat> um, I mean, broadcasting is one of those careers where you never really know what it's all about until you actually are in it. And when you're in it, you actually realise what you originally thought your original job was going to be like. It isn't. And other jobs that you see and people around you um, becomes very attractive. And you think, oh, actually, I really prefer to go off and do that. I and definitely agree with that because, I mean, I went to UL Lafayette and I'd studied uh, broadcast journalism there. Yeah. And it wasn't until I actually got into the field of broadcasting through several TV stations that I that I, yeah. that, I, that I went to that I that I saw the real guts of it and how exactly. and, and how things really and truly worked yeah. and yeah. your your situation seems yeah. to mirror that yeah yeah <coughs> excuse me um but as part of the I mean the reason sort of short path came out, out of you know we, we people might still be wondering what how on earth does a GPS system come out of a background in broadcasting well. At one stage, we were covering, um, thinking of covering marathons and uh, long-distance uh, bike racing, and we wanted to be able to know where um, a, a, a motorbike-mounted camera might be anywhere on the course when we took pictures from it. So we looked at GPS systems at the time to see whether we could monitor where the, the bike was and the camera was and actually be able to superimpose that position on a map um, on, on the TV pictures and we we did we did some work at the time but it never really sort of came to anything and this was using standard GPS which is an accuracy of plus or minus five meters generally speaking so so kind of give us so if if that's been the case then then if someone is watching the Tour de France mm -hmm. for it for example I mean I mean those guys and those those cats at uh, uh, whatever a french tv station that broadcasts that yep. you know i mean i've been doing it for ages they know what they want they're prepared to do as much as they can to get it you know so yep. so they didn't use gps at all or, or have they switched over to that uh, so far as monitoring the uh, the bike camera and all that kind of stuff um yeah in general gps is involved in some way of if, if you want to know the position of a mobile camera you will use gps to do that in some shape or form and I mean, and I mean the graphics and the information that come through from like the Peloton and uh, uh, course, you know, and, and all of that, you know, all of that happens in real time. They've got the got like the little, the little transponders on each of the bicycles now, isn't that right? Uh, they do, except those transponders uh, are only triggered when they go over static receivers. So there'll be positions along the course that um, can effectively. Uh, each transport bonder has its own ID, so they know which rider that transponder equates to. So as all the riders go over this thing that's laid out in the road, all those, tri all those transponders will trigger as they go through, so you get a, 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 a fixed time at that point. But you'll have multiple points uh, throughout the course, so you can actually get segment times as you go through. 
And I'm sure a, fa- a fair, fair amount of you folks uh, that, are, that are still tuning in right now as we kind of go off on a little bit of tangent with the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Transponders, static positions. How can this work with skiing, possibly? Mm-hmm. About 25 years ago, another version of GPS, uh, another version of differential GPS, I should say, uh, came along which um, revolutionized farming, particular agriculture and construction. So obviously the application to construction is completely obvious. You want to be able to map a site out uh, to some degree of accuracy. In farming, however, what they were interested in is is remote control of tractors and being able to repeatably plough a field in a certain way. So they put this so-called RTK GPS technology in, which was accurate to plus or minus one or two centimetres. So old farmer Giles can basically uh, kick back in his chair and put his feet up? Pretty much. You know, you, 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 your average farm these days can be run with, with manpower of about two or three. It's, it's absolutely crazy, which is why it's also such a lonely job these days, because the old workforce just isn't there out in the field anymore. Uh, there's a man in a tractor on his own all day. <laughs> yeah, except for Jeremy Clarkson, who probably needs a, an uh, army of about 50 to do what he wants, uh, what yeah, he needs to do. The film crew need to go with him too, yeah. All right then. So uh, we'll round off uh, the, uh, the the podcast here. Thank you very much, James, for being a part of the uh, the podcast and certainly for all the work that you do with, with Shorepath. You can go to www.shore-path.com to find out more about Shorepath. But is there anything you want to say by way of a shout out to, to, uh, to people that have supported you and those that have helped you along the way to where you are today? Oh, there's been so many people. As, as we all know, this sport is full of volunteers who give their time and, and, and money uh, for nothing uh, to, for the good of the sport. I, I would particularly like to thank the likes of Will Bush and Jerry Jackson um, for their unstinting support and, and work that's gone into it. Uh, George, um, Lin, uh, George Lindy is another one who in the early days was an early believer and... and uh, it's just names within the sport who said, yep, this is a goer, this is worth pursuing. In the UK, there were two or three people as well. Uh, the late Robin Nichols, who was a, a well-known homologator in Europe, um, right from the beginning, even though at the age of 88, 89, uh, before he died, um, was just thrilled with the whole business of new tech coming into the sport and gave me so much support at the time. And I can honestly say that without his support at the time, uh, Shorepath would have been another six to 12 months later coming in. All right, then. That was James Timothy. My name's Tony Lyford. This has been uh, the latest edition of the TWBC podcast. And until next time, it is ciao for now. Thank you for listening to the TWBC podcast. Be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com. Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC Podcast.